This episode is brought to you by Logos Online. To find out more, please visit LogosOnlineSchool.com. Teen Dad Sue's Abortion Clinic. Married? Teen Dad? Married? No, I don't think so. Yay. Hey, gay United Methodist Church pastor trying to conduct same-sex weddings. I'm shocked. Yep. Gay United Methodist. Oh. Christian University blocking pro-life speaker. What? What's wrong with you? Then hers with the UMC. And the House passes another resolution rejecting hate. <laughs> It's yep. bad. Another one. It's bad. Wait, bigotry. It's, it's bad. bad. You're not supposed to legislate morality, Thank right? Thank you for joining across politics. Oh, Waterboy, Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox. Salute. And we got Pastor Ray Ray. Pastor Ray Ray. Coming on the show. I to don't talk call about you that. Life, <laughs> life of Susie. Pastor Ray, I don't call you that. Just so you know, Pastor <laughs> yeah. Ray. It's, it's for his friends. You know, I watched the man dance at his daughter's wedding. That boy can get down now. Ooh. Pastor Ray got some swag Man, his Southern pastors know how to dance. Pastor Ray Ray. Southern yeah. pastors. His feet move right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, I don't know what you're saying. He know what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> thank, thank you guys for joining us. Email us at crosspolitik at gmail.com. Thank you to our club members. We yes. had another drop of Pastor Toby's Proverb series. Proverbs, like, with Pastor. <laughs> Proverbs with Pastor. I think we're at session six Pastor right now. Wisdom for kings. Yes. Oh. You and, know, and, and the other thing we got to plug on this is uh, baptism is not enough by John Crawford. We haven't even talked about that. I forgot that it's out there. Was that you? Uh, you and Marcus what? filmed Baptism Guys, is Not Enough? Guys, I don't even know what that is. Baptism is not enough? I don't even know what it is. Oh. Can you like, just tell me, like, pretend I'm like, give him 30 seconds. I'm pitch. somebody who doesn't know anything about this. Okay, 30 okay. Pitch, because um, I don't know anything about this. You know, so Okay, so this oh, is so much. So, I mean, I know John Crawford. Right, so there's a lot of uh, talk about infant baptism and baptism, but the conversations that people- Go are, baptize- Yeah, 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 that one. Go baptize your kids if you have children. But, but what John Crawford picks up on is that the conversation is happening like this. People are talking past each other. Oh. And, and he makes the argument that we are only- t- we're, A lot of times we're talking about things we can't see, and so therefore our conversations are things that aren't tangible. So you mean like- there's other things we need to talk about before we talk about baptism. Right. Well, and one of the things he talks about is that when we think about covenant relationship, it's really a conversation about covenant relationship. Oh, yeah. We can only function covenant relationship according to what we can see. So you have a daughter. Your daughter gets your name. Your right. daughter is a citizen of America, right? Yeah. And these yeah. are things that she can lose, right? She can actually shame the family in such a way where it's like, right. I don't, she could be disowned. She can be disowned, right? right? You can actually lose your citizenship of America. Like, right. Uh-huh. So. And God's kind of built those structures and he walks that out and he walks it out for the purpose of not just infant baptism, but how it relates to the rest of the world. Yeah. What is God's plan so, for victory in the world? If you're a fight, laugh, feast club member, oh, you, you get, get access to you get baptism is not enough. So yeah. he wrote a book. John Crawford wrote a book. And also um, we, we did a short 30 minute film with him talking through the book. And the, the film actually goes through and some that's things that's not in the book. Available to fight, laugh, feast club, club members. members. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Go back to oh, the kids not only can you support Christian media, but you get access to all our club content, which dad, is pretty dad, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so a teen dad, teen dad, remember that, in Alabama, <laughs> sue, is suing an abortion clinic. You know, I got married when I was 19. I yeah, he was a teen dad. He was, I could have been a teen dad. Yeah. He was I 17 but, when yeah, he knocked up his, his girlfriend. Um, and when you say knocked up, you mean fornicate? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what, yeah. And she got pregnant. And she, she got, got pregnant. pregnant. Okay. She went in and got the medication from the abortion clinic um, mm. to kill her child. Right. And and so this teen dad, he's actually suing the abortion clinic. They, um, and the judge uh, is recognizing, is allowing the case to be filed in Alabama. Yeah. And and they actually named the baby, Baby Roe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and so there's a, um, so this is kind of a, this 
if you guys followed what happened in Alabama's legislative session last year, they actually um, moved, uh, they passed an amendment that granted certain legal rights to unborn babies. Okay. So they called it Alabama's personhood law or uh, amendment two was passed during last year's terms and requires the state to recognize the rights of unborn children so that he's suing right. on the basis of his child having rights. You know, that's it's really interesting because when, when I saw this story, I, I, my mind went back to the fact that everybody had been screaming and still is screaming about women's rights, women's rights. Yeah. What about women's rights? But what's been lost in this whole conversation, uh, uh, there's a few more steps we need to go back to, but what's right. been really lost in this conversation is what about father's yeah. rights? Right. Yeah. That child... Yeah. It took two people to make that child. It, it takes two to tango. <laughs> yeah. it, it takes two it, it, to it, tango. Absolutely. So, so well, yeah. no one's been sense. screaming for. What about what does a dad right. have to say? But to in one sense, he didn't. He didn't marry her. That's right, bro. So how how could he? And he's a father. But that doesn't but negate his responsibility. Father. It doesn't negate his responsibility. But here's the deal: if some Might dude, his butt if, some dude knocked, <laughs> if some dude knocked up my daughter and said, "I want to marry her," I'd be like, "No, really." if he's if he's seventeen. And he wants to marry her, and I'll be like, "No, dude, you haven't proven yourself at all for my child." In fact, huh. you, in fact, you. I, I don't think I would just say that. I think I think I, I think it would depend. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying in this like, situation, no, you I just would say no. no. You I would just say said this, no. I know. Well, I say, I'm giving <laughs> we, you the, now. I'm giving you the scenario. He's 17. Do we record this? Working, I'm working. <laughs> it's with, recorded, right? I'm working he with this no. scenario. Okay. He's 17 yeah. years old. He comes and says, "Hey, I knocked her up. I'm I'm a marrier now." And I'd be like, "You go get a job. You no. go work hard, okay. and you okay. come wait, back wait, wait, in wait, about wait, wait, two wait. years." Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. So, let me say this. So, so let's just play this out. The guy comes up and I says, just "Did okay? No, 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 no. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Mr. Ranch. Yeah. I have something to tell you. Yeah. Your daughter's pregnant. Yeah. I'm the father. I sinned. Yeah." I shouldn't have done it, but let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I really love your daughter. Mm-hmm. This is the woman I want to spend my life with. I've already put things in her. I, I know that this is my responsibility. I don't want to lose mm-hmm. out on, on the life that I would have with her. Mm-hmm. Can I marry your daughter? And I would I would say... Um, <laughs> no, 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 hey, no. Hey, listen. No, 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 listen. You said listen, no. Listen, I'm not done. You said yes. no. I, and I would, say, <laughs> I would say, first, I forgive you. And then I would say, secondly, um, what you did was not loving my daughter. So don't, don't, tell, you, don't tell me you love my daughter yet. And then, and then second, and then thirdly, I'd say you go get a job and show me that you can start providing, and then we'll talk. Okay, but that's different than no. No, it's still no. I don't know. I think it's different. Um, I'm, I'm assuming a boy that's been in your daughter's life this whole time, you would know him enough to know. And, and let's not forget that you're responsible. Absolutely, for having let. And this so this happen. is part of me taking responsibility yeah. right. is by saying, and, "Hey, you you got to go prove that you can provide for my." And don't my get me wrong; like I agree, like you need to be skeptical and careful because Absolutely. because it might that whole situation might be the demonstration that the guy's a real creeper. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. needs to stay away from your daughter. Yeah. But and, you should have known that way before. Now but you yeah. got to take responsibility <laughs> yeah. for having right. let him get exactly. this part. Right. Now the thing yeah. that I, I want to get back to though is the fatherhood point. Yeah. 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 Um, which is um, the <laughs> Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Sorry, I get distracted yeah. easily. You don't uh, mind if I put this up? Roe versus Wade. Yeah, oh, much better. Um, Roe versus Wade. Um, it, one of the great travesties of Roe versus Wade is the fact that the Supreme Court, um, they they basically said that the decision to get an abortion is between a woman and her doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Severing the father's responsibility. Severing yep. the mm-hmm. father's That's right. role. Yeah. Look, you can't make a baby without a dad. That's, That's right. right. It's in the biology. Yeah. Right? Unless you're Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit conceived you. Still had a dad. But it was, you know, okay. <laughs> but that's the only situation where there wasn't a human father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and 
and and this is the thing. So the Roe versus Wade. I mean, we we talk about the fact that you know we're beginning to say you know boys can marry boys and girls can marry girls. This is Obergefell, right? Yeah. Or a boy can turn into a girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Roe versus Wade effectively said you can make a baby without a dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is irrational. I which is not true. And it was a travesty. And it, and it yep. effectively said that the father has no legal rights yep. to the I, baby that he's made. I think they're actually knowing that you can't make a baby with that and say, we're just the dad. That's what they're saying. Yes. You better preach. Preacher. I think that that's what they're actually. You better preach. You know, I think, so they just assumed yeah. the responsibility of the they father did. and said, they said we grant state. it's okay for our, our, our wife. Our, our, yeah. Go ahead. And, dad state. Yeah. Dad state. Dad you know state. what I mean? We, we are the, the yeah. sovereign. Right. Somebody's granting the and authority. We will yeah. protect. Yep. Right. This woman's right, right to, to murder choose. her yeah, baby. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's a good point. I think you're absolutely right. It's the state assuming fatherhood. Anyways, I think this is a good move. I, I, I'm torn actually, by this. Actually, like yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I, I'm fine with this because I think, I think an interesting play. I wonder if it's been run anywhere. A pro-life legislation would be to insist that every abortion uh, has to be if if the man is alive, yeah. the father is alive, and 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 can be found yeah. by reasonable measures. The order for abortion should be signed by the mother and the father. Well, no, it, no, it, no. You can't do that. You know why? It's incremental. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, I'm that, okay with that. Well, well, but, to be clear, but, but here's the thing. Because <laughs> I want that. I, of course, I think every abortion is murder. What is evil, it going to accomplish? You know, but also to have their names both <laughs> sign off on the murder. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You are responsible. Yeah. You're just All you're doing, though, is, is legislating murder. All you're doing is putting boundaries no, on it. No, what I'm insisting is I want to I want to define it accurately and say yeah. you are responsible. You cannot wash your hands of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I think yeah. there are many. I'm fine with the play, honestly. I, I, think, just, I know you are. Yeah. I know you're playing. Yeah. I know you're playing. Oh, but it's also important to note that he's suing on behalf of the child. So it's not really recognizing fatherhood here. It's yeah, just but, recognizing. But I think it's closer to that. Yeah. Like, yeah. At least what, what, fight- gives, mm-hmm. what gives him the right to sue, though? Like, I mean, I can't sue on the right. That's yeah. right. Right. He has to be. Yeah. So I think there's something going on. There's I mean, some, it'd be interesting good. to see the language in the in the yeah. in the lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. Is is he suing on the grounds that he's the dad? Yeah. And he had a right, a legal right. Yeah. Because he's half of the DNA that created this baby that was murdered. Right. But right. I, I'm wondering at the same time. Uh, okay. Can I just step back for a second on this? Step back. Um. He's suing because somebody murdered his child. That yeah. happened without him. But isn't there a place where it's like? But what about fornication? <laughs> like you, there's an issue here too that's like there's legal bounds yeah. wrapped in that as well that's not just a you know right. yeah, he, he, he committed a, a crime against this woman that's and against right. her family yeah, yeah. in yeah. addition to, to the crime of murder right yeah. but you know I mean, I, I, look, i'm happy for the play yeah, but I, I this agree. is what troubles me is like you know had you married this girl made her your wife and mm, this is your mm, child i got, I got you a problem would, with that <laughs> No, I'm saying even before he had sex with her. If you would obey God, if, if you would have obeyed Amen. God and followed His standards yeah, right. and married this that's woman, right. Right. you wouldn't have this. This is a that's, fallout from sin. That's right. Yeah, that's right. There's a domino effect that comes when you don't obey God. Well, yes, everyone you dies for. Every, there's always someone who and dies for I, sin. I, right? I, I like this play. I yeah. always want to go back to the beginning and said, "Hey, repent of what you didn't do in, right here." Yeah, we, if, you know, if we could talk here. to him, if he was in the room, we'd be like, "Hey, man, have you repented all the way to the ground? Right. Yeah, right. All of this, that's right? Good. That's good." Um, you can't. I mean, so I don't know him, and I'm going to sort of assume the best yeah, that yeah. maybe this is part of his repentance. But absolutely, if you're in this man, this young man's life, you need to speak to the hard truth to him and say your your problems uh, were were way deeper than this, right? Right. right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and just well, who's his mom and dad? Mm. Mom <laughs> yeah. and dad, are yeah. you the one that's grabbing his boy and says, "Son, I mm-hmm. failed you." 
Yep. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. Yep. No, Where, I shouldn't. Have did. Where's his pastor? Wait, 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 I, oh, that's right. Where's his elders? Just, yep. just, just, but so, like, I don't know his situation. But if you find yourself in the situation, that's what you should be yeah. doing, right. right? That's your. Yeah. That, yep. If you want fatherhood to be honored yes. and respected here, you can't yep. just you zero start. in on this. You got to you got to zoom out, that's and you got to right. say, where are all of the failed fathers yep. in this situation? Fathers in the church. Fathers in the family. That's right. Um, where are those fathers? And they need to take responsibility, not say this is not my problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a Christian university has blocked a pro-life speaker from coming on their oh, campus. Uh, that, sorry, that doesn't compute. University wait, wait, no, of Northwestern. Minnesota? Yeah. North. You, you ever been there? Yeah. You been there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it Christian? Um, uh, it's my, a Christian college? It's a Christian college. And they're not I know letting some a, solid guys. Who's there. the pro? Star Parker? Star I know, Parker. I know so Star Young Parker. Americans Foundation invited Star Parker to come on, to come and speak on campus. And uh, they basically have blocked her from actually doing the event. Why? The event. Well, so the university, there's a couple different stories kind of flying around about why. Um, some, some of it's been straight up from the university, but there's some underlying reasons that aren't public. Yeah, uh, but the ones that we're going to talk my about. My cousin graduated from that University really? of okay. Northwestern. Yeah. yeah, responded and said, um, "University of Northwestern really only does events for our community, not ones open to the larger community." So, so Young American Foundation wants it to be open to to everybody. Yeah. Anybody can come. So, is this a technical issue, and they're just using the the, the issue of abortion to kind of hit at the That's seminary? That's what some of our friends behind the scenes have been. Telling us because that's not fair we to the got, seminary. Yeah. Friends behind the we scene. got friends behind oh. the scenes. Friends at the college. Well, that if actually, that's the case, I don't want to get down on the seminary because they have a protocol and say, "Hey, listen, we're fine with you going to do this." So the question but, is, but listen to this. So this is in their letter. Okay. So this is a public letter or um, or a public email or became public. <laughs> second, <laughs> there were quite a few concerns. Is actually reported in the paper. Second, there are, they say there's a quite a few concerns about Star. Our staff have been very adamant about bringing speakers to campus who educate and expand worldviews, but we really don't bring speakers who radically hold beliefs that University of Northwestern as a whole would not agree with. Whoa, that's that's problematic. So that's, so that's a little different. But what? But I know Star. Was, I don't know anything that I don't know would, anything radical about her beliefs. No, Star's been she's been in this yeah. movement for a long time. She's just a yeah. pro life. She's speaker. a pro life speaker. Yeah, yeah I, um, I can't remember if she had an abortion or not. I can't remember what it was. Okay. but God radically changed but, her life and saved her. It's, it's yeah. an amazing story she has. Yeah. So they need to answer the question: What radically held beliefs are yeah. you talking are, are about? Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, uh-huh. And and don't just hide behind a technicality. And then, yeah. but aren't you a college? University? Yeah, no. Don't yeah. you want to deal with radically held beliefs, especially yeah. as a Christian? Bring yeah. it on. Right. Yeah. We can have this don't, conversation. We, we ain't scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We ain't scared. We can well, have this conversation. Most Christian universities are scared, and that's why they're capitulating to a lot of the LGBT well, And here, here's something movements. else. I, 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 you think I, they take federal funding? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely do. You think Ooh. they're scared about the feds? You Ooh. lose the money? They got some hooks in them? Message. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, um, if you're a homeschooler, we Ooh. have an app for you, Learnly.me. With you don't Learnly, take no federal funds as a homeschooler. Can, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> with Learnly, you can capture your family's learning experience anytime, anywhere, and it's all pushed into a digital portfolio that allows you to create classes, great work, family learning experience, yes. generate transcripts, all with a single click, maybe two. Something all homeschoolers should be doing. Yes. For cross politic listeners and watchers, use discount code LearnlyCross. Learnly Cross to get 50% off the first three months on a monthly subscription plan on top of 30 days for free. That's Head right. over to learnly.me slash cross politics. Support the people who support us. Thank yeah, you. Come yeah. on now. Come, come on, on, homeschoolers. Okay. What's a, what's our. 
Are we, we should go into third segment with the other. You want to you yeah, take? Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. I, see, I, I see what you, I yeah. see what you I was, did there. I was there. hoping you were going to key off me what? on that. Uh, okay. <laughs> we did not oh. communicate. You need, like, oh. signals. Okay, Pastor Ray. <laughs> oh, that was horrible, Gabe. <laughs> Pastor Ray Rhodes coming up next to talk about Susie Spurgeon. He wrote a whole book on her. We're going to see how this book applies to now and our muddled evangelical culture. Pastor, why do you do that? Why do you... More cross politics when we come back. Let's, can we talk about why you do that? Why do you? It's a foundation. <laughs> the word of God is a foundation it's, for, it's for also, everything. It's also a for the coffee. <laughs> Classical Conversations supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. We provide a classical, Christ-centered curriculum local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries, and we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit our website at classicalconversations.com. Classical. Christian. Get connected. Get community. If you need a little red meat in your diet, Pastor Doug Wilson. When the Constitution of the United States was adopted, the First Amendment addressed the issue of an established church at the federal level. But this did not address the Christendom question. It has been made to address it by means of revisionist history, but originally it had nothing whatever to do with it. The Constitution forbade a church of the United States on federal grounds, not on secular grounds. The document was dated in the year of our Lord, 1789. And at the time it was adopted, nine out of the 13 states had established churches on the state level. There was no sense in which the non-establishment clause was violated by those states having official state religions. To enjoy more red meat of this kind, check out the podcast on iTunes or for more blogging of this particular nature, blog and may blog at DougWills.com. Kind of sticks in your teeth, don't it? If you are a homeschooler, we have an app for you. Check out Learnly.me. With Learnly, you can capture your family's learning experience anytime, anywhere, and it's all pushed into a digital portfolio that allows you to create classes, grade work, a family learning experience, and generate transcripts all with a single click, something you know all homeschoolers should be doing. And for cross-politic listeners, use discount code LEARNLYCROSS to get 50% off the first three months on a monthly subscription plan on top of 30 days free. So head on over to Learnly.me forward slash cross-politic. That's Learnly.me forward slash cross-politic. I love it when David's coffee is on point, man. It is now. You know, bro. It's better than what it was. We'll, we'll, we'll see about the coffee. We'll see about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one to judge. <laughs> Welcome back to Cross Politic. I'm under so much scrutiny now after last week's coffee. Yeah, yeah. we'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. On this segment, we got with us Pastor Ray Rhodes yes, hey. Jr. Jr. He serves as founding pastor of Grace Community Church of Dawsonville, Georgia, and as president of Nourished in the Word Ministries. He has served four congregations over three decades of pastoral ministry. Uh, for 15 years, he's led Nourished in the Word. Ray has published several books, holds theological degrees from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, mm. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's married to Lori. They have been blessed with six daughters, mm. four grandchildren. Mm. Ray has long been a Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon enthusiast. His doctoral thesis focused on the marriage and spirituality of Charles and Susanna Spurgeon. And mm. now, brand new book out, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon, Wife of Charles H. Spurgeon. Thanks so much for being on Cross Politic, um, Pastor uh, Ray. Thank, thank you guys, uh, Gabriel, Toby, and David. Good to see you today. 
Yeah. Um, uh, I'm sorry. He just put your book on the Bible. And I know you as a pastor really wouldn't want that to. It's propping it up. Yeah. It's propping um, it up. Like okay. It's the foundation for, you got the, you got for the, the life of Susie Spurgeon is the word of God. Mm. Symbolism. That's good. <laughs> uh, so, Ray, um, what? I mean, this is a book about a woman. And we're men. And, and so what? Do men, I mean, do Christian men really need to read this book? Uh, 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 you know, it's about a woman. I'm going to sip my tea. Yeah, of course they do. Uh, especially me. I've got six daughters and four sisters and a wife and, and two granddaughters. And I'm surrounded by women. And as a pastor, uh, half our congregation is, is women, right? So uh, we, uh, we need to hear from uh, God's ladies uh, their wisdom and learn from them. We need to understand them better, the way they're thinking. And, uh, and I think we need the voices from history uh, to help us with that. And Susanna Spurgeon, though not many people have uh, looked into her life, uh, she's certainly a very important voice, married to arguably one of the most famous Christians in all of history, uh, and certainly in the top five, I think. Uh, I'll give you the top five. I was thinking of John Cal. I, I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> you were thinking of the guy who, who brought back infant baptism. Coffin, coffin over there. Well, yeah, and, and, and I mean, Solomon says to his son, wisdom is a woman. Yeah. And so mm. a man that wouldn't listen to the wisdom of, and, and that woman ultimately in, in the book of Proverbs is the wife that his son is going to marry. Yeah. And so a man who doesn't listen to uh, a godly Christian woman is a fool. Yeah. That's right. Uh, according to the Bible. Um, Ray, tell, tell us one story from the life of Susie Spurgeon that you think just really captures the flavor of the kind of woman she was. Yeah. Well, she was a, she was a godly woman. Let me, let me say that first and foremost. And, uh, you know, there are many stories. Choosing one story is very, is very difficult. Uh, but I would say early in their marriage, when, uh, or actually in their engagement period, when Charles was speaking at a, a big event and he took Susie along with him, uh, they were getting close to time for marriage, but not quite. And he, he sort of forgot her. He, he had a tendency to be laser focused once he got to uh, the, the venue where he was preaching. And he forgot her, walked in the building, just come, and she was upset about that. Uh, she was he was preaching pretty close to where she lived, so she left, went home to her mother, and uh, wept. Uh, thought that maybe this was all a big mistake. That uh, he certainly uh, questioned his uh, love for her, at least at some level. And then after it's all over, like a lot of guys, the light came on in Spurgeon's mind. I, I left Susie at home. <laughs> I, I left Susie behind here at the uh, at the at the preaching place, and so Spurgeon gets in the. Uh, gets in the taxi and of course not a car taxi but the horse and carriage taxi and heads over to her house runs in and asks where's Susie where's Susie and the mother of Susie actually brings them together and helps her to understand that uh, you know the the man that she's marrying is no ordinary man that uh, and they need to work together here and really it was after that time that Susie made a commitment never to hinder him in his ministry and uh, always to support him as he went forth preaching the gospel and traveling and whatnot. And though she was, she struggled with that at times because she was lonely without him, uh, she held to that commitment. Uh, she learned a valuable, valuable lesson that day, and both of them later laughed about that and appreciated her godly mother's influence in, in bringing them together. When, of course, some mothers, uh, some, some mother, mother-in-law would have driven a wedge there, said, oh, okay, I'm gonna, we're not going to put up with that stuff. 
So, uh, but this mother did just the opposite. She, she helped bring them together. How do you, how do you kind of balance, uh, you know, Spurgeon traveled a lot and preached a lot and she was kind of left behind, um, a lot of the times and this, and that happened to John Wesley and his wife, but that actually became very detrimental. They had a, um, ter- they had a horrible they had a marriage. Terrible marriage. Yeah. Um, so how does, how do you sort, how do you sort through that with Susie and Charles? Yeah, uh, well, both of them, and you know, Spurgeon lived in an era and was influenced by people who who put a high regard, as we all should, but a regard uh, on the ministry that it was it was a driving force in his life, and so he he was not willing to uh, one not love his wife, but secondly to neglect his ministry, and so I think for them it worked because both of them were on board with uh, his life and his calling. Both were supportive of that, uh, and Susie gave the rest of her life after he died to extending his ministry. So invested was she in that. Now, the Wesleys is a whole different story in, in many ways. John Wesley believed that serving God was promoting uh, the Methodist Church, Methodism, and he, he equated it with that and didn't see, I don't think, as much that serving his wife was also serving God. Uh, and she had various problems. He had various issues. But in the Spurgeon household, those guys deeply loved one another. They wrote romantic letters. He communicated with her so beautifully. He prayed for her. He made sure that every all of her needs were cared for when he was on the on the road. And so it was a very intimate and close relationship, though they were separated. So it's not. Uh, it may not be the model for everyone, uh, but in that particular context, in their particular situation. Uh, because they both love Christ and they both love one another, they found a way to make it work. Uh, doesn't mean it was easy, because there was times she'd be pacing the floor, waiting on him to get home. And also, uh, to understand, the first years of her marriage, she traveled with him quite a bit. It was only until about 1867, 68, that her affliction uh, deepened to such an extent that she could no longer travel with him. And she was pretty much an invalid from that time forward. Not even a, she could no, no longer even attend church with him, really, after uh, about 1868. So uh, she was with him quite a bit. I got to I gotta ask you. So I was there at your daughter's, your, your, your oldest daughter's wedding. I was there. And I, I know the guy who married your daughter. And I know you. And I can't imagine if your son or future son-in-law who was courting your daughter would have forgot about her. I don't think you would have been the same, had the same type of response towards. I can't see you saying, well, honey, you just got to understand the kind of man that he is. I don't, I don't, I don't see you Pastor Ray Ray. Uh, uh, I, I have right now. We have a baseball bat on the table, and I'm pretty sure Adrian would be having to run for his life if he forgot about your daughter. So I, I, I just can't see that being something that you would feel like. Oh yes, let's let's just smooth this over and get my daughter to understand what she's getting into. I think you kind of be the opposite way, right? Well, you got to remember, Susie's father wasn't at home. We don't think when that happened. So she ran home to her mother, told her mother. Her mother's the one that did this. So maybe my wife would have been a little more gentle than I would have been towards Adrian if he had pulled a similar stunt. <laughs> but I mean, there's uh, there's stories of Charles sitting into the vestry on Sunday morning, preparing to go out and preach, and Susie, uh, as his wife, even walking in. And he stands up and reach and extends his hand to shake her hand as if she's a visitor. He is so absorbed with the message. He is so absorbed with the preaching moment that's about to happen that he could get distracted like that. And again, they had a good human relationship. Uh, they would laugh about that 
Yeah, I, I, but see, I, I remember, okay, what you guys don't know, that me and Pastor Ray have a history. I interviewed him on parenting and marriage on, a long time ago on okay. a show called Edify that me okay. and Marcus Pittman used to do. Uh-huh. And there is no way you would say, if I did that to my wife, that that would be gospel-centered marriage living and that's good fruit to plant that you would be all over me. There's no way that, you know, just because I don't think that his um the excuse would be that but he's so wrapped into it. That's fair enough to say that he should have done that. You would never counsel a man to do that or have that type of attitude towards his wife, would you? No, uh, but it wasn't his attitude so much uh, towards his wife as it was his focus on what was about to happen. I mean, he had a great attitude towards her. But yeah, I would have given Adrian a hard, hard time, and if he had pulled, if that had happened, and with him and Rachel, for example, <laughs> and uh, so I would have, I would have, I would have pulled him aside and said, "Look, you you, you got to find a way to to divide up your thinking here and focus on uh, both things." You know, Spurgeon, and the th- interesting thing about Spurgeon is he could so supposedly entertain nine different trains of thought at the same time and interact with those thoughts. So uh, he should have been able to pull that off. Nah. <laughs> nah. I don't believe it. <laughs> so as this relates, though, so then think about this in their relationship with each other. How did this affect their parenting? Because he's gone most of the time. She's there with the kids. How, how did that affect their parenting and what was the fruit of that? Yeah, that, good question. Now, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say he's gone most of the time, but he's gone a lot, uh, even especially early in his ministry. He'd be preaching 10 or 12 times a week at times. Uh, but it doesn't mean that he's always out of uh, reach of his home and doing that, but sometimes he is. But he had a he had a firm commitment. They had some sort of the big rocks in their schedule that were non-negotiable. And one of those was family worship. And Spurgeon was often at home, and he led family worship. And Susie said wherever they were, if they were traveling, if they were at home, it didn't matter who their guest may have been, uh, they were going to have family worship. So at a certain time, you know, everyone was invited, uh, the family, the household servants, everyone would come to a family worship gathering. Uh, or I guess they could choose not to, but the children uh, certainly couldn't. And they would lead family worship. And when he's on the road, Susie did that. Uh, she would read scripture with them, and she she played the piano. She would sing with them as well. So family worship was a staple item in the Spurgeon home, as well as morning and evening readings uh, individually, uh, but at least family worship once a day. Spurgeon believed, if possible, family worship should happen twice a day, morning and evening. But uh, in some cir- circumstances, he recognized the impossibility of that due to schedules and whatnot. Uh, so he said, you know, once a day at least. And that was the culture. It was not only Spurgeon. That was sort of the religious climate in Victorian England, if you can believe that back in the day. It was just really common to have family devotions uh, every day. But Spurgeon believed in it not because of the cultural reasons, because he was influenced by the Puritans who taught read the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible. Uh, and that's what Spurgeon did. One of the cool testimonies, actually, to this legacy is you include in your book, uh, Ray, this afterward um, from Susie Spurgeon Cochran, who's the great great granddaughter of Susie Spurgeon, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and she includes in this afterward. This is really really neat that um, that she knows that um, Charles Spurgeon actually prayed for his descendants. And there's this quote here from um, August first mm-hmm. uh, in his prayer book. Uh, what I pray, year? What year? It doesn't say. Oh. I, I pray for my descendants throughout all generations. Be thou their God as thou art mine. My highest honor is that thou hast permitted me to serve thee. May my offspring serve thee in all years to come. Man. And then 
Um, Susie Spurgeon Cochran adds uh, uh, her own comment. Our God is such a generous and giving God because he has answered this prayer so far. My grandfather, Harold, lived for the glory of Jesus. My dad, David, also followed him. God has opened my brothers, Richards, and my eyes to the glory of Christ and given us a desire for him. And I intend to bring my children up in the faith. By God's grace, this prayer will continue to be answered for generations to come to the glory of God. Ah. Go baptize your kids if you have <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's that's talk, Take a slip. Take talk a about slip. that's covenantal faithfulness right there, and, yeah. and a testimony to the, the faithfulness of God. Yeah, and the, Charles and Susie had two sons, and both of them served in the ministry all of their life. So, I mean, after they got to a certain age, and then they they died essentially serving in the ministry. So they were faithful to the end. And as Susie uh, in the afterward and the afterward of the book points out, uh, that continues on at least as far as we can tell the the closest family members. Yeah. So, Pastor Ray, right now, um, what does this book bring to middle muddled? Um, evangelicalism in America. What what is this book bringing? How is it helping us w- uh, wade through some of the? I mean, you you watch the news, you watch what's going on right now, even from your own seminary that you graduated from. It's, things are muddled. And what is something like this, a, a, a autobiographical book from on Susie Spurgeon? What is it bringing to muddled America to help us wade through this mess? Uh, well, uh, by the way, my seminary is excellent. I love Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, so they're doing a, they're doing a great job up there. So I give them a shout out at this point, uh, since you mentioned my seminary. But the uh, I think it's several several things. One is that both Charles and Susie were firmly committed to the authority, the inspiration, the inerrancy, the sufficiency of the Scripture. Uh, they both were Scripture alone people, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Uh, according to the word of God alone, to God, to God alone be the glory. So they were committed to that. Now that that led to other uh, commitments uh, from the Scripture, the old gospel, as they often refer to it, uh, and and which was most uh, beautifully, I think, in Spurgeon's mind, exemplified by the writings and preaching of the Puritans, which held to a high view of God. Typically, uh, and most of the Puritans were Calvinist. A high view of God. Both Charles and Susie were unapologetic Calvinists. They were not hyper-Calvinists, and so they had some issues with hyper-Calvinism, which was more, much more prominent in Victorian England than it is today in our world. I, I think there's there's probably like three hyper-Calvinists in America. They're in a basement somewhere, uh, and there's a lot of cobwebs. And uh, <laughs> so, but there there are not many hyper-Calvinists left. So they they were not hyper-Calvinists. In fact, Spurgeon was cr- strongly criticized. By the hyper-Calvinists of his day, they, they, they tended to characterize him as more Arminian. The Arminians of the day tended to characterize him as hyper-Calvinist. Uh, great book on this subject, by the way. It's called Spurgeon versus Hyper-Calvinism by Ian Murray. It's just a fascinating book. Very short book as well. So they held to the biblical gospel, high view of God. God is the Savior, not man. Uh, God uh, initiates. We respond. And even that response is a gift from the Lord. Uh, so they held to that, and then that led to them writing and promoting only books that had a high view of God and were committed, in their view, to the the authority of Scripture and the gospel. So that when Susie started this book fund in 1875 that continued to her beyond her death, but she died in 1903, giving away 200,000 books to poor pastors, she was very selective in the sort of books that were, she would send. Most people wanted Spurgeon books, and so she did that as much as possible. But people would donate books, and some of them were good books that she used. Others, she, she has some very strong words to say about people who would send her fluffy, trivial, 
uh, stuff like you'd find in many Christian bookstores still today, right? Uh, on the front section. <laughs> so, so she would use that. That was kindling. And Spurgeon would say, the, the, uh, the, the only thing this book is good for is to start a fire. And then she would just throw them away. <laughs> a little kid line right there. I want to. I want to put him. I want to put you on the spot just a little bit. I, I got. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, gotta, gotta, I got gotta, two. I'm, I'm going to put. Well, at least put Susie Spurgeon on the on the spot. You can. You can. You can hide behind her if you want, Ray. <laughs> he wrote a book about it. He can speak for yeah, her. Yeah. Okay. So so <laughs> Beth Moore recently tweeted this, and and I want to ask you what you think Susie Spurgeon would say to Beth Moore. Su- Beth Moore recently tweeted this somewhere along the way. We have to reckon with the fact that we, myself included, went too far. We put limitations on women that exceeded what Christ demonstrated. We did it instead of wrestling with the tension between the Gospels and the Epistles. There's tension there? And now we're watching a backlash, unquote. So this is Beth Moore. Uh, she's responding to Denny Burke, actually, mm-hmm. on Twitter. And, and she's saying that she believes that uh, complementarian evangelical Christians went too far putting limitations on women, and instead of wrestling with the tension between the Gospels and epistles, uh, and we're watching a backlash now. Mm, we got some what, popcorn? What do you think Susie Spurgeon <laughs> might say to Beth Moore? Yeah, well, uh, again, I've, I did see that tweet. I have not read Denny's uh, column. By the way, he's an excellent writer and doing really God's work, and a wonderful way. So I typically, when I read his stuff, I, I usually giving it a big thumbs up. So I'm, I'm with him on, uh, as far as I know, on most issues. Uh, I, I did see the tweet from Beth Moore. I've, I don't think I've ever read a paragraph from Beth Moore in any of her books. I, I think I've listened to maybe just a, a, a sentence or two from her teaching, but I'm not that familiar with uh, her writing specifically. But just taking that tweet as you, as you presented it, uh, Susie Spurgeon would, of course, say there's there's no tension between the gospel and between the apostle Paul. They're in they're in one heart, one mind, one spirit, uh, and the word of God. So there's no there's no contradiction. There's no tension there between those two. Paul is simply articulating what Jesus taught in the epistles. He's taking the gospel that Christ taught and all of its implications, and he's 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 writing these letters typically to the churches or to the pastors of the churches in in some cases. Uh, articulating what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived while he was on the earth. So uh, now the part of the tweet that we could say there may be some validity to there's certainly there in certain circles, there are uh, no doubt people who have have, uh, limited uh, women in a way that maybe the Bible does not limit them. Uh, So we, you know, it's, it's not hard to read the scripture very long, both in the gospels and in the epistles and see how integrally involved women were in the ministry of Jesus and in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, so there are plenty of examples of that. And so I'm sure that there are some churches that have, have sort of swung the other direction and have so squelched the voice and the ministries of women out of fear that somehow they would violate uh, a First Timothy 2 passage or something else, that they've, gone, and they've been unbiblical in that direction. So that's, that's where we've got to focus on. What does the Scripture say? And be willing to follow Scripture wherever it leads us even when it challenges our presuppositions. So, uh, but, but the bottom, bottom line, that's what Susie would say. Susie would not uh, see any tension uh, between the two. Uh, and women had very little. And of course, she lived in a culture where women had almost no, no voice uh, to say, uh, no voice out there. Women were completely under the control of men. 
they uh, they essentially owned nothing when they were married, and so there was a it was a different era. Thankfully, Susie lived in a home where she was cherished and loved and respected as an equal by Charles. Really, so yeah. So yeah. while you were talking, I quipped, "Liberals do that, meaning liberals restrict women all the time." Um, and largely they restrict women from doing what God has actually called them to do, to be mothers in the house and to emphasize the role as God has um, gifted women and directed women. And so when I read Beth Moore's tweet, I, I see her kind of pushing a little bit against God's central calling for women in their lives. Yeah, the, the glory of homemaking. Yeah. She starts restricting women. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, that's why yeah. I quit that. And, 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 right. and we're being told constantly that if, if we praise and lift up the glory of being a homemaker, a mother and a wife, that somehow you're limiting women. Yeah. yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that uh, is troubling. Yeah. Pastor, Pastor Ray, where could we buy your book at? You can buy my book anywhere, uh, pretty much anywhere books that are books are sold. Uh, I don't know if you can buy it at the movie theater, but <laughs> but, uh, but but pretty much anywhere. Uh, if you go to SusieSpurgeon.com, I've got a, a link there that says buy now, and it's got a listing of some of the stores uh, that are available. Some uh, sort of reformed bookstores that have it would include Cumberland Valley Bible Bookstore, a Reformation Heritage Books, uh, Joel Beakey's uh, bookstore and book ministry, uh, and uh, uh, Grace and Truth Books, Solid Ground Christian Books for your audience, and might be interested in, in, uh, in supporting those guys, but it's available Amazon, Lifeway, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, you name it. SusieSpurgeon.com. How about that one? SusieSpurgeon.com. Pastor Ray, thank you for joining us on Cross Politics. We appreciate you, man. Go get this book. It's a great book if you're a Baptist. More Cross Politics when we come back. That's hilarious. Logos Online School is your affordable partner in classical Christian homeschooling. Offering live teacher-led instruction four days a week to students in grades 7 through 12. Our experienced, enthusiastic teachers provide instruction in math, science, literature, history, languages, Bible, apologetics, rhetoric, government, and economics. Find out why more and more Christian homeschoolers are turning to Logos Online School for the education of their children. Go to LogosOnlineSchool.com today. Things are changing in the culture and in the church. Issues of race and justice have polarized many of us. And we're left wondering at least these two questions. How did we get here? And why is God allowing this to happen? Well, the answer can be found on a project called The Appendix by Pastor Kirk Kennedy. This is an album and documentary. The Appendix can be found at the iTunes Store, Amazon, and wrathandgrace.com. Wrath and Grace. I just want to, I appreciate you taking that off the Bible for me. Thank you. That was good. I, yeah. like, I enjoyed Ray. Oh, Pastor Ray yeah. Ray? I enjoyed Ray. He'd be dancing right now if he heard this track. Uh, uh, he probably is dancing while he's listening to this. I thought yesterday's vote by the House was disgraceful because it's become, the Democrats have become an anti-Israel party. They've become an anti-Jewish party. And I thought that vote was a disgrace. And so does everybody else if you get an honest answer. If you get an honest answer from politicians, they thought it was a disgrace. The Democrats have become an anti-Israel party. They've become an anti-Jewish party. They become an anti-Jesus party. <laughs> they become an anti-baby party. <laughs> they become an anti-life party. <laughs> they become a 
anti-parties. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So you you dancing, man. So Trump is responding to. So if you guys kind of followed, you know, Rep. Ilan Omar yeah. in this last month, she's had a couple tweets. You got to fix your headset, don't you? <laughs> He got so excited, he ripped his headset out. He's been dancing and dancing and breaking our sound. So, Rep. Uh, Ilan Omar, she's the first Muslim woman elected yep. um, at, to House, to the House of Representatives. Okay. She's had a couple supposed anti-Semitic tweets uh, in the last, um, probably three or four in the last month. Okay. And she's even apologized for one. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has even said about some of her tweets, she said, Congresswoman Omar's use of anti-Semitic tropes and prejudicial accusations about Israel supporters is deeply offensive. Uh, She's also said, we condemn these remarks and we call upon Congresswoman Omar to immediately apologize for these hurtful comments. Um, So she, um, so you, you got these, Soft or the one of the or let me just read so one, what, of what, what the actual, one of the tweets. There we go. There we go. So one of the tweets she said was, um, "Israel has hypnotized the world." All right. Yes, now, through Jesus Christ. Uh, no. So, but <laughs> also got to consider meant. the context hey, a little bit is where she's a Muslim. Yeah. Muslims don't like right. Israel. So there's really, some, there's some yeah. there's, <laughs> there's some, some deep like, there's ethnic some tension there. Tension here. Yeah. What's going on? But I'm still, like, like so, between the Gospels and in, in the in Paul's writings, you know, some tension. <laughs> get your bet more out of here right now anyways wait, so, wait, wait, so i'm still confused like why is trump saying that they're the the party of anti-semitism and or anti-jewish anti-israel well they, but they actually he, passed that they actually passed this um this resolution that says what? that they're against anti-semitism what do resolutions do nothing are you just saying that congress is doing nothing nothing yeah I mean, I'm saying, like, a little hard. So it says yeah. they condemn anti-Semitism as hateful expressions of intolerance that are contradictory to the values and aspirations that define the people of the United States, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Do, do we well, even- because the resolution started because of Omar's tweets. The whole conversation started because of Omar, and they actually yeah. want to condemn Omar. They wanted the resolution. The Republicans wanted the resolution to actually condemn Omar, mention her name in the resolution. Uh, but, a number of Republicans had said that. But, okay. I, but why we, I don't even understand why we need a resolution for this. Because hate is bad. Uh-huh. It's bad. It's really bad. Uh-huh. It's really, really bad. My people wouldn't know anything about that. But I would like to not punish people because they hate in their heart. I want Congress to punish people because their hate turns into something yeah, like, you know, murder. Because they committed a crime. Because they committed right. a crime. Why are I, we Why are we drafting resolutions of sin? You know, every time I see something like this, I keep thinking to myself, Christian, if you're out there and you're like, well, we're not supposed to be legislating morality. You know, that's not the, everybody. They, oh, that's all they are doing. It's legislating morality. And then yeah. passing resolutions on hate. Like, I, How about this? When somebody kills somebody. Death penalty. How about that? How about how about? Oh, what? but that's so mean. <laughs> that's you're, so hateful. You're so mean, oh, and it might lead to abortion. But I think I think I think part of it. So I don't understand why we need a resolution. Charged, especially Trump has been charged with so much racism, and uh, you know he's the hateful guy. Right. I think the Republicans found a handle here to use on the Democratic Party, and now they're you know that's why Trump is. I mean, he he how many times in that interview and in that. 60 second clip he just said the republicans are anti-semitic they're hateful anti-jewish you know, anti-israel, anti-Israel. That's, that's what i'm still trying to figure out like what, what is he talking about i mean it's it 
the, the resolution, I mean, the resolution's dumb. Yeah. Because it's legislating morality, and the morality is not biblical. Yeah, unbiblical form of morality. It's it's just a it's just a secular human. But what hey, I would be for it if they passed a resolution saying, "Hey, we're sorry for how much taxes we've been taking from the American people." No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I, would, I would, I would, I would see that as a sign of written form of repentance. Well, what know? about what if a Christian legislature, let's say the House of Representatives was overwhelmingly pro life, and they passed a resolution that said um, that. All human life is sacred, made in the image of God from conception on. And we're wrong about, and, and the Supreme Court was wrong about 1973. Sure. I, um, I don't know what that does. It, it raises the flag. It, it's, just, it's sort of like, this is what we believe. This, yeah. is, this is what we think. Yeah. I think that's what it does. I don't, I don't mind resolutions if, um, if, if you're- Does if, a resolution have teeth? And is that something that you're supposed to be doing? Um, it doesn't have any- They um, are supposed to. I mean, the civil magistrate in Romans 13 is from God in order- um, to encourage righteousness. Okay. If um um if they pass a legislation, if they pass a resolution that said we should love our neighbors and we should punish wickedness and all law should reflect reflect that of the Ten Commandments, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If they're moving, if the leg- if the resolution is to push towards something that has teeth, I guess I can be fine with that. But well, but but this is we've we've called the Presbyterian the PCA Church out for this kind of stuff. Where every five years they have to put out a new resolution or, or slavery whatever. was wrong. Yeah, right. Oh. Now this time we really mean it. Yes, we it's promise. Really wrong. <laughs> Last time we didn't cry enough. Yeah, yeah. but this I don't. Time know. We're gonna so cry it, more. It, to your point, it can't be pretty stupid. Like the, here, here we are. Remember. Um, what was the anti-lynching bill the the Democrats just passed? Right, that wasn't a, that wasn't a resolution. No, that, that, was, that was actually that's a bill. That's, 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 a, bill. that's, that, that's, but, a, that's a criminal bill. But but that's but our one of our points in all that is why do we have to pass anti-lynching? Murder's already wrong. Yeah, right. right. But but that was not what that bill was. No, it no, wasn't. That was a hate crime. It was a hate crime bill, yeah. and it was right. it was saying that driven if you commit a crime driven by, by hate, hate. Yep. um, uh, and what we consider prejudice and discrimination, yep. you could have life in prison. You have uh, yeah, prison time. Yeah, yeah. that's stupid. Uh, yeah, but but the point there originally when we covered it, we, we didn't know all the details when we first started talking. When we originally covered it, not yeah. all the details have been out yet. But we 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 were like, why why are they passing anti legislate anti lynching legislation? Murder's wrong. You know, isn't this virtue signaling? In the same way, this resolution, I mean, obviously it's virtue signaling. Yes. Saying we're against hate. We're against, you know. I guess if they're trying to find a Bible to live by, it seems like that's what resolutions are doing. They said, okay, what is our standard and what do we do with our standard? We have one, guys. I I mean. Right. This this just just basically goes through and and it it recites a number. So the the thing that it does is it condemns anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim discrimination and it combines them together. yeah, Yeah. And it lists a number of situations or actually some historical events of uh, uh, white supremacists exploiting, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, using bigotry, weaponizing hate, targeting persecuted peoples. I don't have a problem with discrimination. I don't understand. And, like, and then it quotes the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who taught that persecution of any American is an assault on the rights and freedoms of all people. It identifies the, unborn. the Charlottesville, Virginia um, march. Yep. On the synagogue with Nazi swastikas, the African Americans that were killed in the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Did Charleston, you say South killed? Carolina. Killed? Yes. Well, murdered. Well, we know what to do with that. Nine of those uh, people in the Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, the kids and, on trial for murder. And, yeah, and then, and, the, sh- and then yeah. the shooting of uh, the on, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It references all of those things. But well, we don't need any sort of resolution to help us figure out what to do with that. Right. right. It, it, <laughs> saying it's really bad. But, but yeah. guilty people want to draw up resolutions like this. Yeah. Uh, Right, but, they, but, they they want to okay. say they want to clear them clear their consciences. So let me run around the other side though, just okay. practically for a second. So for a second, I don't really trust Omar. 
No, no. I, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I think she's a political, uh, she's a politician. Yeah. And I, I suspect she's playing games. But she says some things that a bunch of people in Congress think that are anti-Semitic. Yep. Congress passes an anti-Semitic resolution. Yep. It seems like that's a way that basically the Dem- Democrats are just covering themselves. Yeah. yeah. Say, say, They're yeah. basically saying, yeah. regardless of what anybody says, this is what we hold to. Yeah. And it's anti-Semitic. Yeah. And then it's also anti uh, I mean, it's not anti. It's saying you can't be anti-Semitic, and yeah. it's saying you can't be anti-Muslim. Yeah. Right, right. And and trying to say so, it's trying to like hold everybody together and, right. and cover themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it's, that's it's the, cover. That's I, the play, I, I, right? I, I get that. That's the play. I get yeah. that. The problem, of course, though, is is that again, it is legislating morality. It's trying to find peace in Washington D.C. Yeah. yeah, it's trying to find peace in somewhere else besides the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, yeah. And that's what they're promising. They're, pro- they're trying that's to find, they, they yeah. say we can find peace. And this yeah. is the lie of the enlightenment. I mean, this yeah. goes back hundreds of years right? Um, where the enlightenment uh, Rousseau and others uh, said, basically it's religious fervor yeah. that causes violence and war. Yep. Yeah. And so the state is going to come in the benevolent state and it will bring peace right. to the world. Right. Yeah. And this is seeped into the American system. Yeah, and that's yeah, what statism, statism is. Right. It says you can find peace, reconciliation in Washington, D.C., in the state, in the federal government. One of the things, too, that we got to remember as Christians is that God's law is the only thing that suppresses wickedness. Like, you know, outside of God's law, if you, you know, this is why if they. Well, the gospel suppresses the wickedness. And then the law on well, top of it. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, absolutely. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not separating those two. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, but um, but when so if somebody doesn't hold to being a Christian, the punishment that uh, or hold to to being a, a evangelical, whatever. If somebody murders someone, yeah. and another person who is not a Christian sees that, to oh, that's actually a drastic punishment. I don't yeah. want that. It it suppresses oh, yeah. wickedness. Strike the fool, and the simple learn wisdom. That, yeah, exactly, that's right. and so but. This is what they're coming up with a new law, a new standard to try and suppress what they consider to be hatefulness. And they're promising peace and it's going to fail. But all they're going to, but what they're doing is letting it flourish because (laughs) that's right. That's right. That's right. It's actually, I mean, and this is the thing that we've been doing this. I mean, it's, we've been turning the faucet on higher and higher over the last hundred years, giving the state more and more (laughs) power. They take more and more money. They have a bigger and bigger piece of the economy in our life. And it's getting worse. Right. And they keep coming back and saying, that's because you didn't give us more Enough. last time. Yeah. That's right. You actually yeah. need to give us more. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's, uh, yeah. Well, and, you know, this is, this is a, a good example of part of our problems. We got the United Methodist Church, um, you know, a couple weeks ago voted on uh, the traditional plan for marriage. Oh, yeah. We in, covered in, that on yeah, this show. Yeah, we covered show. that on the, show. on the show. So, but as a result of that, uh, there's a number of local churches. Uh, there's specifically there's a, a gay pastor in the United Methodist Church. I that, think you said that right. You said gay. I said gay, gay pastor. It's not possible. Homosexual pastor <laughs> in the United. That, that Methodist ain't possible Church. either. <laughs> and said that he's actually. I'm going to still conduct same sex weddings. Yeah. Uh, and uh, despite so despite the traditional plan, despite the vote, he's, this he's is doing pastor. A, he's doing a states' rights move. Uh, yeah, a local church move. Right. This is a church in Lansing, Michigan. Okay. Um, who's going to continue to do this? Uh, it, you know, you, you got this. It, it, it's. Here we are, United Methodist Church, uh, founded by John Wesley. Uh, you know, history, uh, a history of evangelism and changing culture through the gospel. Right. And now, now it's upside down. Right. So the the UMC, United Methodist yep. Church, Book of Discipline considers homosexuality incompatible with Christian teaching. Yep. That's their. And Thompson, the pastor, he knows that. 
Yeah. He even said it. He yeah. quoted that. And this is what they voted to uphold at the recent conference. Uh-huh. And now Thompson's saying, I'm going to continue to ignore that because I believe that homosexuality is whatever good. Yeah. Um, I think this is actually a good a good thing. I'm not mad at this. I mean, I I mean I'm I'm I, well, I think it could what, be a good thing. I think uh-huh. what Thompson is no, I think it's good. Okay. Yeah. It's good because either the United Methodist Church will stand up on what they voted to do, what they yep. voted to believe. If uh-huh. it's in their church of book of discipline, yep. then they need to discipline this man. Well, yeah. You know what? Yeah. And what if he, and if mm-hmm. they don't, then what it demonstrates is that that vote they just took at the conference uh, was merely symbolic. Yeah. It was yeah. empty posturing. Yeah, that's right. And that's what needs to be demonstrated. Your your book of church order and church discipline is only as good as you actually use it. Yeah, right. But and I think what actually needs to happen. And they haven't been using it. Yeah. Yeah. He's creating a war between America and the rest of the other the the nations. And what's going to have to happen is everybody else. There's going to be an international split. I I think it's likely. And we we noted this when we talked about the story that the majority of the American representatives were in favor of allowing uh, homosexuality openly. Uh, yeah. So really, our African American brothers in the United Methodist Church. African American? No, the African. The African. African. <laughs> don't don't get them. That was uh, so bad. Messed up. The African brothers. Yeah. Need to call out for church discipline on this guy. Right. Yeah. They need to start jumping up and down. I don't, I don't uh, know the Methodist polity. They need is. to throw a fight down on this right now. Yeah, and if they don't, yeah. then they are they are they've lost. Yeah, yeah. the vote right. ne- doesn't matter. It was yeah. symbolic. It was virtue signaling. Yeah, whatever. That's right. Um, but this is this is the thing. Um. We've been talking about fathers in some, you know, today a little yeah. bit in terms of the, the 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 power of fatherhood, the importance of fatherhood. We also talked about motherhood with Susie Spurgeon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that if you don't practice fatherhood in the church, <sighs> then you don't end up with fatherhood in homes. <sighs> yeah. And you don't end up with godly fatherhood in the society and the so nation as a whole. What do you mean by fatherhood, particularly related to it? Is to this is the job of fathers to discipline? Yeah. Disciple and discipline. Yes, it is. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, uh-huh. but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's fathers right. are singled out. Now, of course, we know from the whole Bible that this is a duty that's shared by both parents. Yep, yeah. right. pa- children are to obey both parents. Yep. Absolutely. But the father is responsible for requiring his children to obey, yep. um, to teach them how to obey, and then holding that firm line. Right. Paul says that pastors are fathers in the church. He says, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers Mm -hmm. to the Corinthians. Mm. Um, Mm. The Corinthians had gotten, I mean, they were whacked. Right. They they, they had some guy sleeping with his stepmom. You have people getting drunk at the Lord's table. You have people sleeping with prostitutes in the church in Corinth. And Paul says, you need to man up. Yeah. And literally, that's what he says at the end of verse Corinthians. Act like men. That's wow. right. Stand yeah. fast. Discipline. Be watchful. <laughs> Act like men. And then there's particular things that care. You need to pursue these people in discipline. You need to teach them the gospel. You need to apply the gospel. Yeah. But that has to happen here. But it hasn't happened for decades. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. why Mark Thompson is already, he's lived openly as a homosexual for the last 10 years as a pastor in the UMC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did okay? that happen? Right? He, um, you have you have women and children yeah. running the church. Yep. And they are being led astray and, and they are being abused and you know, and mistreated horribly. Don't expect the blessing of God to come without purging the evil from among you. Yeah. And that's one of the things that starts even in our own yeah. homes. That's first Corinthians five. Yeah, that's yes, first Corinthians yes, five. Exactly. Uh-huh. So that's one of the things that we need to be practicing: purging the evil yeah. from among us. You it, hear my African brothers? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's built on the gospel. It's that's rooted right. in the gospel and the cross and the reconciliation and the peace that is accomplished there. Amen. And then it flows out 
to the ends of the earth. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics.